0: Welcome to the Quality of Love Podcast. I'm your host, Tyrone Dixon, nationally certified life and relationship coach, husband, father to two beautiful princesses, and CEO and founder of Arosu Concrete Consulting. Thank you guys for taking the time out to listen in with us tonight. We really appreciate it. You guys have made it to another Wednesday. That means there's another Hump Day question and answer episode loaded for you guys. And before I even get into this episode, I wanna say that we have a little mix up with my sitter. So if you guys hear my babies in the background, they're joining us on the show tonight. Don't worry about it. They're 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 well taken care of. Um and the second thing I wanna say before we get started is if you have not done so, please check out my interview with the Meads Musing podcast from over in London. It was a phenomenal interview. Uh, her and I have been getting a ton of really, really good feedback. So if you guys could check that out and let us know what you think, that'd be greatly appreciated. As always, you guys know how I feel about feedback. I'm always open. I'm always receptive to it. So if you have it, share it. All right. Um. Outside of that, Just want to make sure everyone is in a good spot and say thank you for being here this evening, obviously, and if you have not done so yet, make sure you're following and subscribing across platforms, whether that's Facebook, YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter, they even got me on Clubhouse now, so be sure to follow and stay up to date on the latest that's going on with the Quality of Love podcast and myself, of course, all right, without further ado, Let's get into our quote of the day. Today's quote comes from an anonymous author, and I actually ran across it a few years back, but I I always use it um, whenever I'm feeling like doubtful or anxious about a situation. And the quote reads as follows, doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. Once again, that quote is doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will. And again, I like to bring that quote to the top of, or forefront of my mind um, whenever I'm feeling doubtful about something or extremely anxious about doing something, because what it does for me is it gives me perspective, and it makes me realize that there are a ton of people that allow doubt to hinder their progress or to hinder them from moving forward, and if I allow the doubts that are spinning in my head at the time to do the same, then I'll be another statistic, right? So that that's the umph I use to kind of push me to step outside of my comfort zone and do things that I might not normally do because doubt came into my mind and it seeped into my being and I figured you know what I probably won't be good at that or I probably won't be able to do that right so again that quote doubt kills more dreams than failure ever will and be sure that you're not one of those people that allows doubt to kill your dream or to stop your drive without further ado Question number one from our relationship and mental health side of things. Have you ever cheated on your partner? Once again, that question is, have you ever cheated on your partner? I have in the past. Um, I think I've shared this on this podcast. If not, um, definitely want to share it now. And I've been in both the situation where I was a cheater in a relationship and also on a receiving end of being cheated. Neither situation is fun. Um, a lot of it what I found was tied to some of my childhood wounds. So I've discussed that with you guys in the past, right? So childhood wounds that I had not healed um, or had not had the opportunity to have a safe space to discuss them, right? I would be one that was extremely fearful of commitment and um, like peace within the relationship. So a really good example of something that I would do in my previous relationships, right? In not to say that this is right in any way, shape or form, just want to make sure um, I give you guys a a transparent visual for my thought process at the time and during the time. So I was I must have been maybe college age a little before somewhere around that age. Um, And I remember thinking and even having conversations with some of my close friends like, well, things are going too smooth in my relationship right now. I'm going to shake things up or I'm going to cause trouble or I'm going to cheat. And I remember thinking about like doing these things and, and doing the act. And once I would do the act, I would feel completely terrible about it, conflicted and wrong. But because I didn't know any other way of operating and I didn't have anyone else, unfortunately, that I knew in a positive light when it came to relationships at the time, it was all I knew. So it had become a part of my subconscious, one. And the second thing is I realized after after doing my own self-reflection and introspective looking, I realized that it was as it was a result of some of the things that I had not gotten when I was younger or when I was a child. Right. Stability wasn't something that that. Um, was prevalent in my life and my family. Um, we were constantly moving as children, constantly on the go, constantly living in a reactive state, I would say. So having having that knowledge kind of in my subconscious mind and subconscious thought process, I used to be extremely uncomfortable with settling down um, and being in a solid relationship with a solid person and being committed to a partner, right? So to answer your question, that's a roundabout way of doing it. But you guys know, I like to be transparent on this podcast. Um, So yes, I did cheat on a partner. um, And I realized that it was, it was all on me, right? It was 100% my fault that I, I stepped outside of my relationship, but I also realized that I wasn't equipped with the skills to be able to do that introspective looking at the time, right? So I didn't understand childhood wounds that wasn't healed. I didn't understand the subconscious mind and how it works and how it can go on autopilot from time to time, right? Very, very fortunate to be out of that spot and have a, a level of understanding now that coincides with my life, right? Because I am married with children. So it probably wouldn't be a good idea to still have that thought process. So um, if you are a cheater, right, or someone who is cheating in a relationship, I would invite you to do some introspective looking into why you feel like it's okay to do that and why you're why you don't feel like it's okay to have a safe space in your relationship to express to your partner what you need. And if you're on the receiving end of cheating, right, so your partner is cheating on you, I would invite you to have a very difficult conversation with them um, about what needs that are not being met within the relationship. And frankly, if they can't identify their needs within the relationship that they need you to help and assist them with. Um, that's probably not the relationship you want to be in, right? We talk about maturity a lot on this podcast. A mature individual takes full responsibility for their lives and for everything they have going on within their lives, right? So if someone's blaming you, for example, excuse me, for cheating, right? So you made me cheat. You did this, you did that. Then that's probably not someone you want to hitch your wagon to for a long term relationship because they struggle a little bit with maturity. All right so I know that can be difficult, but I try to give you both sides of the coin so that you're able to make an informed decision. Question number two: how do I stop being possessive and controlling once again, that question is how do I stop being possessive and controlling? Uh, that's a great question. Uh Very similar to what I just said about um childhood wounds that haven't been healed. I would invite you to do some introspective looking as well into why you feel like you have to have total control over everything and why you feel like if you're not in control, things will go wrong, right? Because... I can almost guarantee you once you start looking into your childhood, you've experienced something where things were taken away, taken away from you or you weren't allowed access to things. And it wasn't in your control at the time, right? And now that you're older and you have the ability to control it a little more, you go over the top with it, right? So you're extremely possessive, you're extremely controlling, um, in particular in your relationship, right? So this is a relationship question um, that I received. So I'm assuming that you're controlling and possessive within your relationship. That ties into a lot of our our childhood and not getting the things that we were supposed to get in our childhood. So then we grow into adult we become possessive. And when we feel like something is ours, like a mate, for example, a partner, if we feel like our partner belongs to us, we become possessive and extremely controlling of that person and the environment in which that person functions in because we don't want to lose them. I would invite you to uh, one, of course, do the introspective looking, like I said, but try to relinquish some of your control, right? And what what will happen is, and this is tough, so I'm going to say it and understand that it's going to take a ton of practice, but try to release, relinquish some of your control on your partner and show them that you trust them, right? When what I've found is, especially when I have my possessive ways, narcissism, possession, kind of go hand in hand, controlling all of those go hand in hand to some extent, at least, there's a uh, little individual traits that may be different, but to some extent, all of those things go hand in hand. And what I used to practice came from a neuro-linguistic programming technique where I would not be possessive to my partner and I would allow them to express themselves or experience whatever part of life they wanted to experience, right? Which was extremely anxiety filling for me. But after a while, what you realize is that your partner, if they truly love you, they'll be inclined to do things that won't offend you won't seem disrespectful or won't make you look stupid or embarrassed right because no one wants to look stupid or no one wants to be embarrassed right so work on relinquishing some of that control um, and over time you'll find that you don't have to control the people that genuinely want to make you happy right or want to see you happy And that's a really, really good lesson for you to learn, not only in your relationship, but in life period, right? Because at the end of the day, we are not in control of anyone, right? People individually have 100% control over their actions and reactions to various situations. Question number three, should couples have access to each other's phones? Once again, that question is, should couples have access to each other's phones? Um I would say yes. Frankly, yes. Uh what phones are a big deal nowadays and some people don't don't take them as a big deal, but that's a huge huge trust factor, right? If I'm in a relationship with someone um and they don't allow me access to their phone, not even that I want to scroll through their phone to see like who they've been talking to or lurking or cheating, whatever the case may be, but that that's an element of secrecy when you don't when you don't want me to have access to your phone per se, right? So that, that will cause a different neurological pathway to open up in my brain. And because, like I said a little earlier, I've had the experience of being cheated on, then it would open my brain or, or neurological pathway up to, whoa, is this person cheating? What's, what's there to hide, right? We're in this relationship where we've created a safe space for one another to talk and express themselves, yet this person is hiding, right? So what are they hiding? And why are they hiding it? Why do they feel like they need to hide it from their partner, right? The person that's supposed to be their best friend, their confidant, their biggest fan. So, yeah, I would absolutely say that couples should have access to one another's phone, but there also should be some boundaries drawn. Right. As well, if you have a possessive partner, geez, these conversations are uh, questions are just kind of flowing today. Thank you, guys. Um, if you have a partner that's possessive and controlling, then you need to have a conversation with that person um, about privacy, about respect. And about your boundaries, because sometimes people can overdo it, right? There are some women and men that want to be in your phone all the time. As soon as they hear the little text ding go off in your phone, they're looking like, oh, who's that? What's going on? And that's that's also not um, conducive for a successful long term relationship. Right. That's asking for trouble. That's asking for. Uh, One partner that's that's on the receiving end of that controlling piece to feel like they can express and be themselves within that relationship. Right. So I am one that says, yes, absolutely. Couples should have access to one another's phone because what it does is it, it lays that trust foundation for both partners. Right now, I don't have to worry about any tricky things going on or any secrecy. Everything is out in the open because I have access to my partner's phone and vice versa. Question number four, how do you get over friendship betrayal? Once again, that question is, how do you get over friendship betrayal? Oh, man, that's the tough. That's the, This is one of the toughest things that I think to get over, um, even, even close to breakups and marriages. Like, I've seen people not be able to recover from friendship because there's so much time and energy invested in friendship. So um, the first thing I would invite you to do is evaluate that friendship, right? And within that evaluation process that you do, ask yourself, were there times in this friendship in which I did things that I don't normally do, but I thought because this person was my friend, that I would do it? Or were there times in which I kind of compromised who I am in order to make this person feel good about themselves if you answer yes to those type of questions then that's the first place you start right as you as you start to pick yourself back up and put the pieces together um, from the friendship betrayal, you start to identify and see patterns from that previous friendship that you probably, that were red flags and you probably ignored because you wanted to see the good in the person, right? I would invite you to right off the bat, start to jot down the list of things that you will not accept in a friendship, no matter who it is, no matter what's going on the things that you will not accept when it comes to your friends going forward. And what that does is now you have a a solid list to go forward with in terms of making a a smart decision on who can enter your bubble or who can enter your boundary zone and then not, not betray you to the point where you feel extremely bad. The other thing I would invite you to do is give yourself some grace, right? People are, especially nowadays, people can put on a very very good nice face um and they can be charming and they can appear as if they have your back 100% all the way until you guys get into a particular situation right and then once you get into that particular situation you start to see that this person is not as solid as they say they were, and they they operate under some shaky type of shaky characteristics and shaky traits. Right, That's something that you can't really see until you're in a situation with someone. So give yourself some grace. Um, you're not stupid. You're not an idiot. You're not all of the negative things, excuse me, that typically um, come with betrayal or making us feel like, man, why, how do we not see this? My, a lot of people go through this. Um, you're not the only one, so you're not alone. But as you go forward, start to prepare yourself to put the steps in place that it does not happen again, right? Um, friendship, betrayal, like I said, at the beginning of this answer, it's very, very difficult. But There's always a lesson in this type of situation that you can learn from and you can improve from and then keep that lesson moving forward. So now when you allow friends to come into your life, it's no longer um, flex or I shouldn't say flexible, weak boundaries that can lead to betrayal. Right. So as soon as you see something that may be a red flag, you nip it right in the bud. Question number five, how do you manage a long distance relationship? Once again, that question is, how do you manage a long distance relationship? Right now is probably one of the trickiest times to manage any type of relationship, especially a long distance one with, excuse me, everything that we have going on, um, considering the pandemic, uh, the new way of life that we've been had, heading into a year now, um, so I would invite you to, number one, shameless plug here, go ahead and check out my interview with the May, the Meads Musing podcast entitled Love, Loving in the Pandemic or Loving Through the Pandemic because I give a ton of tips for singles, for couples, and for married individuals on ways you can spice things up in your relationship during this time a few of those things without going on and on for you include getting creative rega- regarding your dating, right? So schedule date nights via Zoom. Uh, Go to meeting is another free platform that you can use where we're not necessarily face to face, but we're able to have an interaction where we're able to see our partner's face. Uh, maybe schedule a, a dinner night, right? Where you could cook dinner at your home. She or he cooks dinner at their home. But you're sitting down together at the same exact time and you're having a conversation online or via Zoom, right? And this conversation does not include phones, does not include any technology outside of the computer or whatever device that you use in order to see your partner's face. The other thing that I would invite you to do is... Play board games. Board games are always an awesome way to pass time, but also allow our partner's defenses to come down, right? And that's when we get those real genuine conversations and we start to get a little more sincere in what we talk about. And it's not just a small day to day talk, right? So those are a few things that I would invite you to do. I would also say, as often as possible, try to make trips to see one another because the, the the distance that you guys have, right? When we talk about long distance relationship, it, it grows wider if you go long periods of time without seeing each other or being able to touch one another, right? So give a hug, give a kiss, any of those things. Our neurological pathways stop firing off for someone um, the longer we go without doing those things, right? So if you're able, if you can get out um, to see them periodically, maybe once every couple of months. Even if you can't do that, make sure you do it, schedule that time. Um, and also, when you do get the chance to spend time together, make sure your conversation centered around your relationship and what you guys have going on to be able to prosper and move forward, right? Don't Don't dig too much into the past. Don't discuss negativity too often, right? Really, really use that time together to be strategic and effective for your relationship in order for it to be a lasting one. Question number six, when an ex blames you for cheating on them, is that manipulation? Once again, that question is, when an ex blames you for cheating on them, is that manipulation? Absolutely, right? I just said it. It was like, I got to say this again, guys. You guys, these, flowing, these conversations are just flowing today, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of the questions and the trust, of course, in me giving you responses and feedback. But yeah, absolutely, 100%. That is manipulation. It's also a sign of a lack of maturity, right? This person probably is not mature enough to admit that they're in control of their actions um, and they have 100% control of how they operate either way. For you, that's a clear sign that you need to get out of that relationship or get away from that person. Maturity is one of the biggest signs in a relationship um, that hinders it, right? No matter how successful people are, no matter how good a conversation may or may not be if your partner is immature and can't take 100 percent responsibility for their actions and their behavior, that is not someone you want to be in a long term relationship with, regardless of how much you love them and care for them, because these type of things will always happen. Right. So right now, the partner blaming you for cheating or the ex is blaming you for cheating. But down the line, if you get back with them, it'll be something else or, oh, you, it was your fault because you made me get this or you made me do that. Right. It's just a quick way to not take responsibility for their own actions. So my, I know you didn't ask this, but my best piece of advice in this situation would be to make sure that person that's your ex stays your ex because they're not mature enough to handle a lasting relationship. All right, let's touch on some insight from former narcissists. Is it best to just stop talking to them when you end a relationship with a narcissist? Once again, that question is, is it best to just stop talking to them when you end a relationship with a narcissist? My answer to that question would be absolutely yes, right? Anytime you're in a relationship with an individual who is a narcissist, one of the things that they will continue to do is they'll continue to reach out to you um, and continue to try to engage you and get you back into their into their tentacles I like to call them so it's always best when you are fortunate enough to exit a relationship with a narcissist to cut off all contact and make sure that you're you don't have any ways that they can get back to you or get to you whether that's social media email addresses I would invite you to change all of that so there's no contact Question number two, why would my narcissistic ex say we were done for good one day, then call the next day saying he, w- he wanted to hear my voice on the answer machine, but didn't want to talk? Once again, that question is, why would my narcissistic ex say we are done for good one day? then called the next day saying he wanted to hear my voice on the answering machine, but didn't want to talk. That is actually a classic sign of a narcissist, um, someone who who likes to play mind games like that. Um, this is actually, frankly, uh, one of my tactics that I used to use during my time as a narcissist. Um, I didn't understand it at the time, but what that does is it, it Provides an opportunity for them to give you a call, right? And then also play mental mind games with you, right? So it's, it's, it, the purpose of that is to confuse you, to throw you for a loop and to also trigger memories of this person for you, right? So now you start to think about the good times and maybe letting him back in and having conversation with him. But I will tell you, I'll preface all of that with this. This is again, a, very common in maneuver by most narcissists in an effort to get you back, right? So they want to get back within your good graces and get you back to feeling as though they're the victims within the relationship. Question number three, will a narcissist come back again after doing no contact? If so, why would they do this? Once again, that question is, would a narcissist come back again after doing no contact? If so, Why would they do this? Yes, they absolutely would. And it's just a gauge right, to see if you're actually over them after that long period of no contact or if it's a situation where you're saying you're over them, but you may be willing to give the relationship another chance and take another shot at the narcissist. It's just what what we call in, in my field a heat check right? So they're checking, engaging to see uh, where you are with the relationship, if you're truly over them, or if you're just saying you're over them, and it took some time to miss them and want to be with them and around them again, and you'll open back up and let them do that, right? So It's a heat check for you. Um, Make sure you stay strong. Make sure you're, you're prepared for that and understand that there's no benefit to going back to that relationship with that narcissistic individual because a lot of their behaviors are set in stone and they won't change in most cases. Question number four. Why does a narcissist change after you finally get married to them? Once again, that question is, why does a narcissist change after you finally get married to them? Um, I think for them at that point in time, and I'm assuming uh, it's a pretty vague question. So I'm assuming that you married, excuse me, a narcissist and the individual... um, kind of went on full display of their narcissism after the marriage, that's kind of their a narcissist indicator that you're fully committed to their narcissistic ways and that you're somebody that will be a supply to them or fall for their tricks for the rest of your life, right? Um, if you recognize this and you were someone that was of the thought process, oh, well, once we get married, this person will change or once we settle down, things will change, Unfortunately, that's just not how narcissistic individuals' mind work. When they get married, for them, it's like, oh, okay, this is someone who is committing to being under my control for the duration of life. That's all the questions we have for you guys today. Remember, you guys are more than welcome to hit us up at tqlp20 at gmail.com with any questions that you guys have for our big Wednesday episodes. Once again, that email address is tqlp20 at gmail.com. Or you guys are more than welcome to hit us up on our Facebook page, the Quality of Love podcast. Remember, guys, as always, the quality of love and relationships that you have in your life will determine the quality of your life. Peace and love.